Immortals, and welcome to episode two of our second season. Uh, our first episode was more of an update, and this will be our first full normal episode. My name is Miss Charlie, and I am one half of the duo that is the Babes of Valhalla. I will be continuing the segment that we started last season where we honor the hoes, harlots, and heroes of history that have often been overlooked or forgotten. These are the badasses who have fought against prejudice, strived for equality, and have helped forge the way for us future harlots. Today we'll be honoring the modern patron saint of sex work. Who might this be, you ask? Well. If you already looked at the cover art or the name of the episode, you already know, but I am about to reveal it anyway. Passing in January of 2021, I wanted to honor the life and work of Miss Margot St. James. Welcome to the Babes of Valhalla. Content may not be suitable if you are underage, closed-minded, or immature. We discuss topics that are graphic and sexual in nature. Alrighty, Miss Margot St. James. This amazing woman fought for sex worker rights, helped push new policy for health and safety, and created the first ever prostitutes rights group in the United States. I knew a little bit about Margot before doing my research, but I am so happy that I chose her because she has such an amazing life uh, and she has done so much for our community. Obviously, I'll only be able to touch on just a couple of those things today, but I do encourage you looking up some of the articles and websites that I'll list at the end because there's some pretty amazing information um, from all the different articles written about her life and there's actually this fantastic website uh, that is was created in memoriam where different people just create small like two to five minute segments remembering her and uh, things that the that she has added to their life and I will definitely add that in at the end. Let's get started. And what better place than to get started at the beginning. Margaret Jean St. James, born in 1937, was raised on a farm in Bellingham, Washington. From a young age, she was taught to work hard, put time in milking the cows and tending the farm. She married right out of high school and moved to Seattle with her husband and her baby. But young Margot wasn't ready to settle down. Back in high school, she had been focusing on art and even won a national award for painting. She still had dreams of being an artist in the city, but before she knew it, she was a stay-at-home wife with a baby. Margot knew what she had to do. She packed a giant suitcase and left her husband and son to move to San Francisco. She quickly fell in with artists, musicians, beat poets, and philosophers. Living in the middle of the summer of love, Margot hosted bands such as Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, and the Grateful Dead in her house she referred to as the St. James Infirmary. Like the famous blues song, notably recorded by Louis Armstrong, which is called 
the St. James Infirmary Blues. In 1962, when Margot was 25, she was living with her musician boyfriend right in the middle of the free love era, and her house was quite busy with people going in and out all the time. Um, Police began to stake out her house and eventually brought her in under the charge of prostitution. Now, at this time, Margot wasn't prostituting. She actually was quoted saying something like, there was plenty of sex, but no one was paying for it. But when she was brought before the judge, she proclaimed, I've never turned a trick in my life. To which the judge responded, anyone who knows the language is obviously a professional. And that was the end of that. He charged her not with prostitution, because I guess he didn't have enough to formally convict her of that, but he did charge her with keeping a disorderly house, which I find hilarious. I could imagine in the early 60s, in the free love movement, in the hate Ashbury region of San Francisco, Many people were probably getting charged with keeping a disorderly house. But uh, Margot did not take the charge lightly. She actually became very upset because she didn't think she deserved to be charged with anything. And she started researching law. And funny enough, she began doing sex work so that she could pay for law school (laughs) so she would take night classes in law so that she could learn more about how to repeal her conviction and in the process ended up learning uh, a lot about the legal system about how it charges people who or how it was discriminating and attacking sex workers and within the process became very passionate about sex worker rights. Eventually, her conviction was overturned. In the process of her doing all this research, she actually started reaching out to uh, defendants, to bail bondsmen, to judges, to get a better sense of what the processes were, but also started making all these connections. And she decided to do something with all of her newfound knowledge, all of her newfound connections, Uh, She started her first group uh, called WHO, which was W-H-O, which is an acronym for Whores, Housewives, and Other. Uh, I read one article that said that maybe Other stood for lesbians because at the time they still didn't put words like gay and lesbian into places where they could be openly attacked or criticized or sometimes they were more on like more hidden, but this was a space where different types of women could come together to talk about issues that affected all of them. So everyone from gay rights to women's rights to sex workers' rights could kind of find where those common grounds were, which there was quite a few, and discuss common goals that they would like to achieve. Now, at the time, she held these meetings uh, on a houseboat of philosopher Alan Watts. She was his house cleaner and chauffeur, and he let her use his houseboat to hold these meetings. Over the years, Margot was always an advocate 
but she also had a series of odd jobs as well that not only provided income, but also a really wide range of contacts within all different industries, just like Alan Watts, who, you know, became a base for one of her organizations. She also was uh, a private detective. She was a hostess. Uh, she was a deckhand on a dinner cruise boat. So uh, Margot was all over the place, which I find very interesting. She was not a very mm, stay-in-one-place settled person. She always, always was doing something new. But uh, this group who, uh, Whores, Housewives, and Other, evolved uh, into something else, which some people are more familiar with. It's COYOTE, which is another fun acronym, which is Call Off Your Old Tired Ethics. And on Mother's Day of 1963, she founded COYOTE, which ended up being the first prostitutes rights group in the U.S., now, it gave legal advice to sex workers, it gave health advice to sex workers, it was a place where uh, people could feel safe. She started publishing the Coyote Howells newsletter with over 60,000 subscribers, and they would discuss different policies and would try to fight to overturn them. Um, she attended national and international women's conventions, testified, and lectured. So the group Coyote is supposedly the ones who first really coined the term sex work, which is crazy. Um, one of their members in particular, Carol Lee, was the first person to use the word sex work instead of just prostitute to discuss the group of people who use sexual services and... It was Coyote who really pushed the term and made it mainstream. Coyote member Priscilla Alexander was already developing this concept for a holistic approach towards healthcare for sex workers, um, but it wasn't, they couldn't really push it through until the late 1990s. And their goal was to provide compassionate and non-judgmental health care and social services for all sex work while preventing occupational illness and injury. So um, a little backstory on the St. James Infirmary. In 1993, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors passed a legislation that called for the establishment of San Francisco Task Force on Prostitution. Now, they were going to make a report that determined whether or not the city's response to sex work was effective or ineffective, and after a three-year period, they came back and said not only was the way that San Francisco was dealing with sex work ineffective, but it was also harmful. Now, as we still know in modern day, a lot of times, even when when uh, the government uh, is trying to help, some of the laws that they pass in addition end up being more harmful than helpful, and that is what happened here. In 1998, hold and test, I believe, and anyone who was arrested 
uh, for prostitution could be forcibly held and tested and treated on site for STIs. And this was supposed to force um, STIs out of the sex worker community, but they weren't really taking into consideration the fact that they weren't really treating sex workers like human beings, but uh, just passing them through the system. And Coyote received a phone call from a sex worker who was being forcibly held and was complaining that without her consent, she had had her blood drawn, she had had it tested, and so she reached out to the only person that she knew would come up and defend her, which was Coyote at the time. So Margot heard about this and she reached out to the director of STD control and prevention in San Francisco, Dr. Jeffrey Klausner. And Klausner was interested in helping the sex work community and he thought that this was helping. But once Margot discussed with him the fact that a lot of these women didn't feel safe didn't feel taken care of, they felt isolated, they felt tested, they felt dehumanized. Dr. Klausner invited members of the sex worker community to a meeting to discuss uh, health within sex work. He had been aware that the public health department was not really working with sex workers, but after these conversations with Margot and with Coyote and with fellow sex workers, this started to create the framework for what the St. James peer-led infirmary was going to look like in the future and how that was a better way to approach health and safety. I have a quote from their website. The St. James Infirmary is a peer-based occupational health and safety clinic for sex workers of all genders. It is our mission to meet the needs of people engaged in the sex trade through advocacy, direct services, and social justice. Obviously connected to the house that she used to call the St. James Infirmary in San Francisco. It is a clinic for sex workers by sex workers, and it was the very first of its kind. Today, they offer all kinds of things from primary care, therapy, mental health services, body and energy work, massages, STI testing, counseling, needle exchange, harm reduction, transgender hormone therapy, and a bad date list on their website, which is super cool, where you can report anyone you have gone out with, um, related to your work that has been a bad client and write a description or their name or what they did uh, to help warn others about interacting with these people. I still think that in our modern times, uh, having a group like the St. James Infirmary is amazing. You don't see very many um, clinics that are focused on serving sex work communities. Margot was a very active person, not just in San Francisco, but internationally. Before she traveled abroad, she had already attended the United Nations Decade Face of Women Conference in Mexico City, the 1976 Tribunal of Crime Against Women in Brussels, the 1977 International Women's Year Conference in Houston, Texas, the 1977 Liberation Convention and the 1980s Decade of Women Conference in Copenhagen. There was a split 
in modern feminism between the 70s and 80s that was starting to push more for anti-pornography movement and the feminist movement started to split. So there was the feminists that were pro-sex work and the feminists that were anti-sex work. And before Margot was really using a lot of the feminist movement to help back her up in creating these policies and to get a foothold on on speaking um, out about different issues and as the split starts to happen uh, she she had more and more difficulty finding sympathy for sex workers so at this point she decided to move to Europe with one of her friends Gail Peterson who is the writer of A Vindication of the Rights of Whores, um, which is an anthology by sex workers to which Margot St. James wrote the preface. Now, the two decided to move to Europe um, to where they actually organized the first World Whores Congress in 1995 in Amsterdam, and the next year they did it in Brussels. Um, So they went throughout Europe and they were trying to do a lot of the similar advocacy and awareness. These all happened right around the time of the AIDS epidemic, which became the topic of a lot of these these meetings and how to properly protect sex workers from, from tra- sexually transmitted diseases. The AIDS p- epidemic was uh, a killer and this uh, posed a much higher risk to to sex workers this is pre-st james infirmary that she is actually out and doing this and so a lot of those discussions um probably influenced how they decided to set up the infirmary and talking about physical health as well as mental health miss st james did return to the united states around 1996 and actually ran for the san francisco board of supervisors she said to CBS, I've been perceived as an outsider, but I've really been an insider for all these years, sitting on their laps in their smoke-filled rooms. Now I want to come to the front door, and I want a place at the table. And while she did not win, her popularity and support surprised many. She had made many friends and supporters over the years through her legal work and her advocacy work, and she only just barely missed Uh, enough votes. She was seventh place when there was only six seats available. She promised that if she had gotten into office, she would have installed a red light in her office and every time she was in, she would turn it on so everybody knew that the, you know, the red light woman was, was there. And even though she did not get onto the board of supervisors, Uh, She was appointed to the San Francisco Task Force on Prostitution, and she also served on the Board of Supervisors Drug Abuse Advisory Board. So through these ways, she was still able to work with the city and work with law enforcement on how they were interacting with the sex work community. In 1993, Margot got married to her close friend, Paul Avery. At the time, Paul Avery was a retired reporter uh, who had covered cases such as the Zodiac murders and the kidnapping of Patty Hearst, but he was diagnosed with severe emphysema and became 
very ill, had to quit his job, and was completely retired by this point. He asked for Margot's hand in marriage and promised that she would receive fantastic benefits, but it was not just a marriage of convenience. She moved in with him. Actually, they both moved up to Orca Island north of Seattle, and she took care of him for the last uh, decade of his life. Uh, he passed away in 2000, and he was the only person that she ever remarried outside of her very first marriage. At the end of her life, Margot developed Alzheimer's. Her family moved her in with them so they could take care of her, and she passed away in, on January 11th of 2021. So here is a short segment from her memorial website, margotstjames.com, and I wanted to play you a, a clip of a woman named Norma Jean who recalls her entry into sex work, her reaching out to Coyote, meeting Margot, and how that experience really changed her life and her experience within the sex industry. Back when I started working, um, I was not arrested. They had a, a sting operation, but they didn't have anything on me to arrest me for, So, but they took me into custody. And I had this client who was a lawyer, and so I went to his office and we were talking about the whole thing, and he says, you know, I know this woman named Margot St. James up in San Francisco, and she's got this group called Coyote, and and so he called Margot, and um, she was there, she answered. And I talked to her for a little while, and she invited me to come up to a, co a convention that they were having up there in San Francisco. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. Just having people, sex worker activists, who were breaking the law come together and say, you to the government and to the cops and still gather together and 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 risk being arrested just for hanging out with other activists I, all i can say is that it just it revolutionized my life to meet margot and and the other activists who were around her when i actually did get arrested and i was facing going to prison which i did twice before i went off to the first time the solitary confinement my husband and i drove up the coast because i was just you know i was scared i was angry and we stopped off and and stay i stayed with Margot for i think a night and Margot and i sat on her couch for hours and i cried and she held me and she told me I'd get through it. I didn't believe her, but <laughs> anyway. So then we had a fundraiser um, before I went off to prison because obviously I couldn't work. And if it hadn't been for Margot and the support she had given me at the time that I needed it so badly, uh, I don't know if I would have survived that experience. So for me, that was something that made me just say, yeah, I've got to do something to change things, whatever I can do. Well, Margo, I love you. You were such an asset to the sex worker rights movement. And we hope that we will do you proud. And hopefully within my lifetime, we will decriminalize it.
You started it and we'll finish it. Miss Margot St. James, shift policy, create organizations and clinics to reach out to the health community directly. Now we have peer-to-peer support. There have been many people who have fought for this and many people who are a part of the St. James Infirmary and Coyote and previous organizations that have all made this happen. But Margot St. James is one person who dedicated the majority of her life fighting for sex worker rights. Thank you so much for joining me on my short segment on Margot St. James, the patron saint of sex work. Please forgive me if there's anything I messed up on. Uh, I did try to research it enough to relate the information, but you know, there's always things that you miss. I just wanted to spend our first episode uh, speaking to somebody who I think is quite amazing and made a lot of strides in our community. With that, thank you for listening to the first full-length episode, uh, episode two, season two of The Babes of Valhalla. In the meantime, to soothe your aching loins, you can find us on Instagram at The Babes of Valhalla. And if you'd like to email us or record an anecdote for an upcoming episode, check out our social media for the themes we are currently researching and send your comments and stories to babesofvalhalla at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay nasty. Babes of Valhalla is written and produced by the Babes of Valhalla, otherwise known as your illustrious lieges, Darby and Charlie. Music provided by the musical genius, Gemini Genesis. Sources used for this episode are Margot St. James, Advocate for Sex Work, Dies at 83, from the New York Times, by Catherine Q. Kit Seely. Margot St. James, at Spoken Advocate for Sex Workers, Dies at 83, Washington Post, by Emily Lang. Margot St. James Bio, St. James Infirmary Clinic website, by the SJI, St. James Infirmary Director, who might possibly be Tony Newman, who is the new director at St. James Infirmary. Margot St. James, patron saint of sex work has died by Peter Astrid Kane for them. At the Hooker's Ball, strippers, dancers, and activists took over San Francisco and partied for sex workers' rights by Nina Renetta Aaron for Timeline, Wikipedia page for the St. James Infirmary Clinic and Margot St. James, as well as Paul Avery. And last but not least is the margosaintjames.com, which is the memorial site.